are starting a brand new series today. It's a three-week series that we are calling Rich. You know, if you uh, are ever one of those people that stays up late at night and uh, looking, maybe you can't sleep, you have insomnia, you're looking for something to watch on the TV, you realize that it's all just terrible programming late at night. And so if you're anything like me, you end up watching the infomercial. And if you're anything like me, you are easily sold and you will buy the things on the infomercial. And let me just tell you publicly, the magic blender does not work and it is not magic. Okay? Magic bullet, that's what it's called, the magic blender, yeah. It's a blender called the magic bullet. Uh, I have one. I bought one. It does not work. It does not make guacamole in three seconds, okay? So just in case you were wondering, uh, it, it doesn't happen, all right? But what you may also see are some infomercials on how to get rich quick, right? I mean, if you're up late at night, you, there's, there, on, on one channel, it's the magic bullet or the, the ab bullet or something to make you healthy. And then the other thing is to make you rich, right? And these infomercials tap into what we, what, what the values of our culture. We want to be healthy and we want to be rich. And so, so whatever the infomercial is for, it might be, you know, to learn to trade your own stocks. It might be to buy and sell real estate. Sometimes it's even to sow your seed into this ministry and God will make you rich. But I think it's safe to say that as a culture, we want to be rich and we value almost above everything else money. And so I, I believe that's true. I believe that our world has come to value money almost above everything else. And calling those who have lots of money, we give them a title, we, we place a, a tag on them, and, and we say, man, if you have lots of money, then you're rich. The thing about being rich is that it's always, it, there's always, uh, it's always subjective. In other words, uh, we'll, we'll look at our own life and, and we'll, we'll tend to put ourselves in the poor category. Uh, even though if you drove a car uh, to church today, you are among the world's wealthiest people. But what we tend to do is we place ourselves in the poor category so that anybody that has more money than us is always rich. We love to put the title on, man, they are rich. Man, they've got so much money. And we, we really obsess about this. And we obsess over the lives of those who are rich or, or given the title of being rich. We obsess over what they wear and where they go to eat, and uh, sometimes we obsess over what do rich people do all day, right? If you're so rich, what in the world would you do with your time? Uh, there was a recent documentary, actually it's just coming out, it's called The Queen of Versailles. Uh, it's about David and Jackie Siegel. David Siegel is the CEO of Westgate Timeshare Company. It's the largest timeshare company in the world, uh, and uh, they were just on a blitz of making billion-dollar profits, you know, just every year, and uh, him taking a lot of that home to his, to his own household. Uh, when he and his wife, Jackie, went to build a house, uh, they ended up building what would, what would have been the largest house in America at 90,000 square feet. What the documentary tells is, is not only their rise to the point where you would have a 90,000 square foot house, but the documentary also tells of their demise. That in their pursuit of becoming more and more rich and having everything that the world could ever, ever possibly have to offer, in that process, they also lost so much. 
and, and, and there's clips that show about how, that reveal the quality of their marriage and their relationship. And uh, in the process of, of being so rich, they lost their fortune and all kinds of other things along the way. Uh, and they lost their fortune when the, the, the economy tanked back in 2008 and everything just kind of fell apart overnight. The basis of this series is this. With the pursuit of being rich, we have become utterly poor. That's the premise of the entire series. With our pursuit of becoming so rich financially, in other areas of our life, we have become utterly poor and broken. And so what we want to do over the course of the next three weeks is we want to, we want to explore what it might mean to redefine rich. And so what we're going to talk about, let, let me give you a little map of where we're headed. We're going, to be ta- we're, we're going to talk about being rich with community, rich with generosity. And today I want to talk to you about being rich with time. And I've entitled the, this morning's message, A Treasure of Time. Because I, I believe that as we, we search more and more to become rich, we actually have become utterly poor. One of the things that I believe we're poor with, as, as I've already mentioned, is I think we're really poor with, with time in our culture. Right? I mean, uh, let's think about this. Uh, around the Industrial Revolution, we started making machines to replace a lot of the human, uh, the, a lot of the human um, workforce and, because we felt like if we could, a well, because we, the idea was this, a well-designed machine could work day and night without rest and, and designing an efficient machine will increase productivity. If productivity is increased, then we can be more efficient. And if, if productivity and efficiency are increased, then eventually our profits will increase. So again, we have this idea of of the, the end goal, the most valuable thing is if we can increase profits, if we can become financially rich. And what we did then is we designed well, we, we made well-designed machines to become more productive, more efficient. Because money is our most valuable resource. And we believe that money comes through efficiency because we have come to believe that above all, I must be efficient. Right? I mean, think about a day, and my guess is you wouldn't have these very often, but if there was a day when you, when you intended to get a lot of things done, but you just didn't, you felt like you were uh, just a, a rat in a cage spinning a wheel, and, and nothing, you never really got anywhere, you would go to the end of that day and say, and, and feel really bad about that day. I haven't been efficient. I intended to get all these things done. I didn't get them done. My efficiency dipped. Therefore, this was not a good day. So as a culture, we've come to believe that doing anything, doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. If we can just remain active, we'll have the, the, the illusion of efficiency. If, if I can just stay busy, if I can just keep my schedule full. This happens a lot of times in churches, by the way. You might notice that, that intentionally we don't keep the calendar very full here at Emmaus Road because we believe that time is a valuable resource in your life. And I will not dare steal all of your time so that from the pulpit I'm saying, go and reach out to your neighbors. Eat 
eat dinner with them, have fun with them, get to know them, share the love of Christ with them. But church, don't forget that Monday night is game night, Tuesday night is prayer night, Wednesday night is Bible study, Thursday night is men's night, Friday night is women's night, and Saturday the kids are going to come and play. And what I've essentially done is I've said one thing from the pulpit and then the church has stolen your time. And not only in the church world, but in our personal lives, we do the same thing. If you were to look at the calendar on your phone, your tablet, your computer, or for some of you that are old school, your day timer, and it would be empty, what in the world would you do with that time? We don't even know. We have become a culture so busy that if we don't know, it's all good. We've become a culture so busy that if our calendar wasn't full, we wouldn't even know what to do. And so efficiency, and and, and and, and if if we're efficient, then the, the profits that come from that, the end result is that we believe we have, that we are machines. Do you know that? I mean, probably you wouldn't say that out loud, right? I mean, probably, probably you, wouldn't, you wouldn't really recognize that sort of explicitly, but, but I believe that, that our, the way in which we order our lives is that we have come to believe that we are machines and that we can be productive day and night, day in, day out, without any rest. You know, um, Apple the computer giant, just released a brand new operating system called Mountain Lion. And you guys know that I'm an Apple nerd, and so I use all of these for illustrations. But one of the, one of the features in Mountain Lion is this feature called PowerNap. And PowerNap is a feature that allows your computer to fetch and sync your calendar, your contacts, uh, do backups, uh, do all of this while it's napping, while it's asleep. So you shut the lid on your computer, and it sleeps. But with this new feature, right when you open up, it's already connected to the Internet. It's already run all your backups overnight. Anything that has come in, any calendars or contacts or anything that for your syncing services that have changed, it's already right there. It doesn't have to do that once the computer wakes up because it's power napping. And I wonder how many times, if you, if you were to hear that, I wonder, outside of this setting where you probably know what's coming and all of this kind of stuff, I wonder how many of you would hear the power nap feature of your computer and say, oh, man, if only I could power nap, right? If only I could be efficient while I sleep, then that would really be something. And we say that because we feel like that we don't have enough time in the day to get all the things done that we should get done or ought to get done or need to get done. And so we live in a world with all kinds of artificial urgency. As though the entire world landed on our shoulders and our calendar and our technology and our skill set and our ability. We've come to believe that we're machines and that has led to a desperate lack of time. We live in a culture that is starved of time. And the title busy is carried around like a trophy because to be busy 
is to be important. Right? Hey, man, what's going on? Dude, I am busy. Oh, really? I'll bet I'm busier than you. And implicitly what we're saying is all of a sudden we're, we're, we're trying to place ourselves one higher above the other. Oh, you're busy? I'm busier than you. I got, I got more appointments. My calendar is fuller. I got more responsibility. I mean, I'm a leader, all this kind of stuff. I'm busier than you, yo. You probably might not say the yo, but. And, on the, you know, we, we carry it around like it's a trophy that to be busy is to be important, that to be busy means that I'm accomplishing something. And if I'm accomplishing something, then I'm valuable. But the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ is that you are inherently valuable. You're not valuable based on what you produce. You're not valuable based on your level of efficiency. God does not look at you and say, oh, they're not very efficient. Therefore, they're not very valuable. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but how many of us tie our value to our level of busyness and our perceived level of efficiency? We live in a culture that values these things because if you're doing something, anything, and if you're doing it efficiently, then, you're, you're, then your bottom line is going to be better. You're making more profits. You're being more productive. And that's the most valuable thing in our culture. Be productive. Do something. Hey, man, tell me about yourself. I work here. That's the first thing we say. When we're getting to know some people, what do you do for a living? I'm going to stay at home mom. Oh, you don't work. Uh, yeah, she does. Right? All of this has led to a, a, a life that, in our culture that many of us live our lives void of rhythm. And we live this life void of rhythm in the pursuit of more. Believing that if we're more efficient, believing that if we're more productive, then it will lead to more money, more recognition, satisfaction, more love, more information, more influence, more possession. And all of this stuff, the, the lie of more leads us ultimately that if we can do all of these things, we're going to be more secure. Right? Right? If I'm efficient and if I'm productive and if I'm able to gather and consume more, then all of a sudden I'm more secure. And when that happens, ultimately, where does our trust lie? In the sufficiency of God to care for our every need? Or in our own efficiency? In fact, that might be the word for some of you today. Maybe God just wants to say to you today that you need to stop relying on your own efficiency and begin relying on God's sufficiency. So we live in a time-starved culture. And the Bible has something to say about that. So as I have talked to you already, Mark chapter 2, you guys are already there. Let me get there. I want to read to you verses 23 through 28, 23 through 28, and uh, it'll be up on the screens or you have it on your Bible or your, your smartphone there, uh, but here it is. Follow along with me as I read. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when... He and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. 
And he also gave some for his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. I want to read that again. Jesus says to these Pharisees, these law keepers, the Sabbath police, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, some of you, if you didn't grow up, especially if you didn't grow up in church culture or in the church, you're, you're probably wondering this, this really unfamiliar term, what in the world is the Sabbath? Well, well the Sabbath it was a 24-hour period of rest uh, in the ancient world, particularly if you're a Jew, that, that began at sundown Saturday night and then went through sundown of Sunday night. And in the Old Testament, what we're given, God gives to his nation, the Israelites, a whole set of rules and regulations and laws related to the Sabbath. And they were, they were pretty heavy laws. Uh, it, were, it was all the thing, it was a list of all the things that you can't do all, during this 24-hour period of time. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't work. You can't walk more than a certain distance. Uh, you can't go and pick grain. Like all and along the down it goes through the list of things that you cannot do on the Sabbath. Now, these rules were given to the people of God and the nation of God in order to establish the purpose of the Sabbath. And so once we get into the New Testament and we start hearing about the life of Jesus, there's a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees who saw it as their duty to make sure that everyone followed the rules of the Sabbath precisely. And that really, by the way, when in relation to the Pharisees, they weren't just concerned about Sabbath rules. They were wanting to keep every single rule. I mean, they were just the rule police in the ancient world. And they were always calling people out. And they really felt high, more highly of themselves because not only did they know the law, they had memorized the law and, and did their best to live by every letter of the law. And they wanted to make sure that you did too. Sounds like a great group of people, huh? Somebody you'd really like to have over Friday night for your barbecue. Um, so they were the rule keepers and they were the Sabbath police. And so quite naturally, when Jesus and his disciples are walking along on the Sabbath and they start, begin picking grain, the Pharisees jump right in because they're hiding around every bush waiting to catch you doing something wrong, right? So they jump out and they say, why are you picking grain on the Sabbath? And, and what Jesus does is brilliant here. Jesus, rather than saying we ought to follow every letter of the law as it relates to the Sabbath, moves us to a deeper level and says, let's discover the purpose of Sabbath. And he says, Sabbath is for the people. Not the people, for the Sabbath. And the Lord rules over even the Sabbath. It's a brilliant thing of what Jesus is doing. In other words, the Bible is clear through this passage. What Jesus is trying to tell us is that Sabbath is not a, a, a weighted backpack of rules that we put on and try to walk through this life so that we can heavily carry every single rule and regulation as it relates to the law. But what Jesus says is take the heavy backpack of Sabbath law off and walk freely in this. The Sabbath is a gift to you. It's something that I have established clear from the beginning of creation that is a gift to you. The Sabbath is for the people. 
Not the people for the Sabbath. If the people were the, for, for the Sabbath, then all of a sudden that means that we rule over the Sabbath with our, with our laws and our rules and our regulations and all of this stuff. And, and we want to be rulers. And so we create rules of what you cannot do on this particular day or this particular period and all of this stuff. But what the Bible says is that the Sabbath is a gift to us. It isn't one more thing for us to rule over with our rules and our regulations, but rather it is a gift given to us to restore the rhythm that is missing in our lives. You see, this idea that we're machines, that we can run day and night, we can be more efficient, this is not a new idea. We have been dealing with this ever since ancient culture. For years upon years upon years, We've been dealing with this. And so Jesus says, in the midst of the busyness of all that you have to do, the busyness of your life and the pressures and the responsibilities, realize this one thing, that I have given you a gift to restore rhythm in your life. And the gift is Sabbath. And it really doesn't have anything to do with rules and regulations or a list of what you can't do, but rather Sabbath is a gift of time so that the things that are born only in time can come to fruition in our lives. It's a gift to remind us that we aren't machines and that the greatest value in life is not efficiency or the bottom dollar. But we, you know, again, just like the Pharisees in ancient culture, we in modern culture, we have ruined the Sabbath, uh, wanting to be rulers. We've created all kinds of rules and regulations and laws of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But the biblical view of Sabbath is not a day surrounded with rules of what you can't do, but time in your life to do the things that enrich your lives. And restoring rhythm. If we could realize just for a moment, even just for a day or maybe for a week, if you could realize that you aren't a machine and that your primary purpose is not efficiency, how would your life be different? And what kinds of things would change? I believe that if we would realize, even just for a moment, that we aren't machines, that the highest value of our culture or our lives is not to be efficient, but but rather that we are human beings built for relationship and worship and hobby and delight. That the way in which we go about our days and our weeks would be totally different. So the goal of Sabbath is to set aside time to delight in the things that can only come when the artificial urgency of our days disappears into an abundance of time. Let me say that again. The goal of Sabbath is to set aside time to delight in the things that can only come when the artificial urgency of our day disappears into an abundance of time. I want to remind you of something very, very critical today. And actually, I want to remind myself this because of all that we've gone through. 
that the urgency that you feel about the day is very likely artificial. That things aren't quite as urgent as you might think they are or as they seem. And ultimately, ultimately what I believe the Bible says about this is that not only, not only does Jesus sort of set our perspective right and, and flip our lens over so that, so that we realize that Sabbath is not just sort of this, this rules and regulations, but rather it's a gift given to us so that we can enrich our lives. But, but ultimately what I, I think is happening here is, is that we are given this, this wonderful teaching that tells us if you will recognize this, your life will be completely different. And that which is urgent will be diffused and brought into back into proper perspective. What the Bible says in relation to this is that those who won't work are lazy. Did you know that? There's, there's scriptures throughout the Bible that, that say if you refuse to work, you're lazy. And some of you might be like, I'm living in mom's basement playing Xbox all day because I'm just trying to honor the Sabbath. No. The Bible says you are lazy. But some of you on the opposite side might say, well, well I'm not lazy. I'm, I'm working really hard, and, and I'm working so hard that I'm, I'm putting in extra hours at the office, and, and I'm working on weekends, and, and I can't, can't quite make it to church or anything else like that because I'm so busy, and I have all these responsibilities and all these kinds of things. And so what the Bible says that those who won't work, it calls lazy. But those, the Bible says that those who refuse to rest are disobedient. And so what we have to do as the people of God is to find a middle ground where when we work, we work really hard. I hope that in, as, a, as an act of worship and to show honor to God, that you are one of the best employees at your place of work. Yeah, but I hate my job. I don't care. Are you honoring God by working hard when you're at work? And the opposite, opposite of that is, man, when I'm done with work, I am done with work, and I'm going to play. And so I think part of Sabbath is, is realizing that I'm not going to be all over here, what the Bible calls lazy. But, but neither am I going to be all the way over here, because the Bible says that's disobedient. But when I'm here... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get after it. And when I'm there, I'm going to get after it and take some time off. Listen, the church used to honor people for perfect attendance in Sunday school. And they'd give you a pin. And, and you'd get a pin. I was, I was here every Sunday. And then if you were here the second year, perfect attendance, they'd give you another pin to stack on top of the other pin. And pretty soon you'd have 14 years of perfect attendance. Take a vacation. But I was just honoring the Sabbath. Listen, Sabbath does not mean that you have to follow the rule and regulation of being in church every single Sunday. Sabbath is time in our lives to delight, to play, 
to do the things that are born only in time. How would your quality of life change if you decided that it was okay to be a bit poor with money and rich with time? Right? How would your quality of life change if you just decided that it was okay to be a bit poor on money but rich with time? Because the reality is there are some things that enrich our lives that are born only in time. That if you starve all the time out of your life and you fill it with all these other kinds of things where you're always, everything is always planned and calculated and there's a time and there's a beginning and there's an end and there's all these things. And if your entire life is like that, probably when I read this list, you'll say my life is, is starving of those things. And it's because those things cannot be accomplished through productivity. They cannot be accomplished through efficiency. They can only be born. They can only grow in time. In other words, let me say it this way. You cannot produce play. Things that are born only in time. Play, delighting in creation, time to walk in the park, time to nap. Can I hear an amen about the nap? I thought for sure I'd hear more with that. Time to play with children. Those of you with children, when was the last time they had your full attention and you were fully engaged in playing with them? That's convicting to me. Because children live in a world that has all kinds of delight. I have a three-year-old at home. She does not know what it means to pay a bill. We have tried to teach her that, that when you work, you earn money. And she has said, I'm not all that interested in work. And I've kind of said, you go, girl. <laughs> We've tried to teach her some of these things, but, but she is 100% focused on delight. And, and if I, I wonder if I ask myself that, this question honestly, and I want to encourage you to ask this question honestly. When was the last time you entered into the world of a child's delight. And, and just felt like you had time to do that. Entering fully into that, that child's world of delight is only born in time. Time to read a good book, time to dance, to garden. Some of you love to get your fingernails dirty and dig in the ground and make things grow. I don't fully understand that, but I get it that some of you want to do that. And you want to you want to grow things in the garden, time to paint and to sing, time to meditate, to pray, to journal. If 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 you feel like your life is starving of some of those things, you've become too busy. And you're not honoring God with the Sabbath and Sabbath time. Because it's, it's time for us to redefine what it means to be rich. And realize that one of the most precious resources in our world is the gift that God has given us from the very beginning of creation called Sabbath. Time. Where in this time, our lives are enriched. What would happen if, if rather than 
being over here because chances are if you're over here and, and you're just playing all the time and you, you don't you just don't have anything going on and, and, and you're kind of in this spot that the Bible would say you're lazy, chances are you're not very fulfilled in life because work and, and, and getting after it brings a level of fulfillment. We are, we are designed to create, right? Our, our creator is a creator. Our, our, our God is a creator God, and we bear his image. So we are designed to build and create and order and work but only in proper balance. So if we're all the way over here, then, then we feel less human. We feel guilty. We feel unproductive. We feel all sorts of things. I've got to do something. But what happens is the second you get into a career, the second you land the job of your dreams, the second you, try, you, you, you finally get to that place where the wheels are churning, you get caught in the addictive nature of, of productivity and you land on this side of the corner and, and you believe that your value, your worth is all based Based on the bottom line that you're producing because you're so efficient. And what God is calling you to today is if you're over there, to get in the middle. If you're over here, get in the middle. And, and realize that there's this beauty to Sabbath time in our lives. Where we can just rest. Where we can delight. Which, by the way, Sabbath is not just being lazy. Some of us might, might believe, but hold on, this is not in my notes, so I don't need it. Some of us believe that when we're over in this corner so much that we're given this like one day, and, and, and we, we have like this one day where there's nothing on our schedule, and we're like shocked, first of all, but then amazed, and we're thanking the Lord. And so what we do is rather than come in the middle, we come right over here and, and we just like sit all day. That is not Sabbath. That is your body telling you that you've been over there way too long. That you don't even have the energy to play because you've worked so hard. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be rough on you today. I'm just trying to be honest because I see this in my own life. I'm here. Yay. Go productivity. Go efficiency. You know, go church, right? Because a lot of my stuff over here is the church. But then in those few moments where I get a break, I don't, I don't take time to delight and enter the world, the full delight of the world of my children. I, I don't take time to, to engage in meaningful conversation with my spouse. I'm like... Doritos and a couch is all I need. Right? And that, my friends, is not Sabbath. That is a sign that your life is still out of balance. Because you only get here, like what, twice a year? And so you're like, man, I just spent that day on the couch. Praise the Lord for Sabbath. You're missing it. You're missing it. Get over here, but then once a day, once a week, we need to take this time to delight to, to participate in hobby, to enter the world of our children and their delight, to, to do something you love that re-energizes you to go back there and order and produce and work in God-honoring work and then come back here. But what happens if we're just sitting here, how many of you have had this experience after a day over here because you've been over there for so long, you get back 
after this day of doing nothing, and at the end of that day, what happens? Are you energized? You're more tired than when you started. This isn't Sabbath. So Sabbath is not don't do anything. Sabbath is do the things that enrich your lives and and build you up and energize you so that you can re-enter the world of work. I challenge you this week to treat time as your most precious resource and honor Sabbath and rhythm in your life. Somebody shared a great idea once, and that was that uh, it would be a good idea for me to maybe share some resources of things that are speaking to me. And uh, I want to read a quote from this book, but this is a phenomenal book, a great resource for you. If you, if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you about Sabbath today and you want to learn more about it, this book uh, will revolutionize your life. It's called Sabbath, and the subtitle is Restoring the Sacred Rhythm of Rest by Wayne Muller. And uh, I'm sure it's super cheap on Amazon or something, uh, but it's, it's, an, it's an older book, but it's a phenomenal book, and I would recommend it. But let me read this to you. The problem is not simply that we work too much. The problem is that we are working for the wrong reward. We are paid in the wrong currency. We reward the fruits of our labor and the sweat of our brow with money and goods and services, but we need to seek instead a more fertile healing place and healing balance of payments. For some of our pay comes in money, that's necessary, but some of our pay comes in time. What if we were to expand our definition of wealth to include those things that grow only in time? And these are some of the things that I've pulled out. Time to walk in the park, take a nap, play with children, read a good book, to dance, to put our hands in the garden, to cook a playful meal with friends, to paint, to sing, to meditate, to keep a journal. What if we were to live for even a few hours without spending money and cultivating time instead as our most precious resource? For although we purchase twice what we did in the 1950s, can we honestly say that we are happier for it? Do we sense that our neighbors, friends, and family are at more peace, are more joyful, or more at ease? Do we feel in them a palpable sense of well-being and delight? If not, why not? Our cars are faster, our televisions reach farther, our computers are everywhere, our dishwashers are more efficient, our armies are better equipped, our police have more weaponry, our medicines are more powerful, our interstate highways are bigger and reach farther than ever before, our buildings are safer, they're more modern, they're even temperature controlled. We have, in short, everything we have ever wanted. Or do we? The Sabbath is a revolutionary invitation to consider that the fruits of our labor may be found in the restful and unhurried harvest of time. For in time, we can taste the sweetness of peace, serenity, well-being, and delight. And I love this. The truth must be told. With all the money in the world, And no time, we have nothing at all. The truth must be told, church. With all the money in the world and no time, we have nothing at all. As we've talked about playing with children and 
gardening and hobbies. I know that some of you are saying this. I don't have time for that. I want to give you three Sabbath solutions. Uh, These are your next steps for this week, too, by the way. Three Sabbath solutions of things that, that I want to challenge you and encourage you to do this week to help you begin to experience Sabbath time. The first one is this. The first Sabbath solution is this. Take a walk in the evening. Take a walk in the evening. Making a point to notice the beauty that surrounds you. Look at the sunset, the flowers, and the trees. Is the water around you, is it still or is it active? And while you, while you take special notice of the beauty around you, remind yourself of the great, grand nature of God, our creator. And consider that the sunset is something that he's painting you to remind you of his love and of his grace. Man, I got something going every single evening this week. Could one of them be canceled? Is it really that urgent? Or is the urgency artificial? The second Sabbath solution is to make a meal with friends this week. But just to enjoy the presence of loved ones. This is not a scheduled meal where you have a certain amount of time and and where you've come together for a particular purpose. We're going to come together. We're going to eat this from 7 to 8 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, the games will commence, but not past 9.30 because we have a busy day the next day. But just a meal to enjoy the presence of the loved ones. And let me also say this. The meal this week, when you, when you make it with the friends, the meal is not the point. We gotta have everything. We gotta have the table set. We gotta have everything ready before they walk in the door. We gotta, we gotta do all this. We gotta, I mean, the, the, the friends are coming over, and the house has to be clean, and the table has to be set because we've known these people for twenty-five years, and they're some of our best friends in the world. But we have to put our best foot forward still. <laughs> they're coming over. The meal is not the point. The point is the presence of loved ones that you can enjoy. Number three, the third Sabbath solution is to refuse, this is for me, to refuse the artificial urgency of technology for an evening. Like when when your phone gives that little boom, you're like, somebody emailed me. I have to check it right now because Best Buy might be telling me about the TVs that are on sale this week and I have to know. Somebody emailed me, somebody texted me. This is so exciting! I mean, the the, the alerts on your phone create so much artificial urgency. It is incredible. And so my challenge to you and to me is to refuse the artificial urgency of technology for an evening. No computers, tablets, no smartphones. Some of you are like, I'm not into all that, so let me get you. No TV, no e-readers, no Facebook, 
No Twitter. And I guess you got to add this one to the list now, girls. No Pinterest. Oh, man. I was okay with no Facebook and Twitter because I don't even do those things. But Pinterest? I'm just trying to get everybody. But how about this instead? Just a book. Just a conversation. A craft, a hobby. Or maybe that evening when you've set everything aside, maybe that would be a great time to enter the delightful world of your children. Three Sabbath solutions that I think we can all, we can all do one of them and put Sabbath into practice in our lives this week. And that doesn't mean that by next Sunday you're going to be a Sabbath expert. But it means that you've taken one step toward realizing how true Sabbath can enrich our lives. (laughs) 